Yeah, I was just making sure that my um, definitely pop filter and not a sock on my mic was on. You're, you're cute. Hey, it <sighs> seems to be working better. So yeah. there's that. It's your thing. Do what do what you're going to do. <laughs> oh, I didn't. I forgot to ask you. So, no, I'm not even going to ask you. I'm just going to keep it a biker. And if anybody really wants to know what this guy's nickname is, <laughs> I'll tell them. But it's not for not for small ears. <laughs> little little baby ears. Get your little baby ears off this show. This is an 18 plus podcast. Accurate. I mark every episode as explicit because I can't actually remember by the time I get there. Yep. And I was like, we talk about murdering children. I'm pretty sure this is an explicit podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not us murdering children, other people murdering children. No. Just for <laughs> clarification's sake. Uh, I for- mean, we would never actually kill a child but we probably thought about it i mean just just for anybody who's like <laughs> listening to this episode as their first episode of 30 seconds in we're like we talk about killing kids <laughs> like not us <laughs> i feel that that's there a have very... been times that i'm like man somebody do something to that kid <laughs> i feel like that's a very important distinction to make but that's not i'm not actually hoping that they kill the kid oh, i just yeah. want the child to stop screaming yeah you just want the child to leave <laughs> yeah please leave the vicinity I think it's funny whenever like a restaurant or something does like adults only and just seeing how many parents get upset about it. Oh, I love watching the parents get upset about it. You know what? I, I don't know if you saw this. There was a TikTok of this lady who was like, uh, it was like a comedy. Ret- I might have sent it to you. And she was like, you know, the the people who become parents are like, oh, it changes. Oh, you. yeah. It changes you. And she's like, great. Like, why are you mad at me for getting to sleep in late? Well, you'll never know unconditional. Do you want to stare into your baby's eyes or do you want to sleep in? Like, why are you mad at me for having disposable income when you get unconditional love? Elise was telling me about a a TikTok she got sent and it was, um, it's easier to have a, it's easier to have a baby than to order a pizza. Oh, yeah. And AJ says that all the time. And, um someone there was like a heckler and it was a comedian it was like a heckler or something who was just like no no it's not and then the you know the heckler starts getting booed or whatever and then the comedian just sort of leans into his mic he's just like how many times have you accidentally ordered a pizza (laughs) yep how many accidental pizzas are out there yeah how many accidental pizzas have people ordered in <laughs> the whoopsie here? pizza <laughs> who's got an oopsie pizza who's got a surprise yep. pizza oh no one no one oh well <laughs> i wish i had an oopsie pizza i've had a surprise pizza from you yeah. oh i'm great <laughs> you all should be friends with me i'm i'm a i'm a good person no one said you weren't <laughs> except you <laughs> constantly and all the time sometimes i need to say something nice to myself i agree (laughs) i think you would do well with more often being nice to yourself who's got time for that so much easier to just call myself a stupid bitch and move on (laughs) it's a compliment sandwich (laughs) i'm good i'll take the the compliment avocado toast (laughs) anyway we should probably do this episode huh sure Welcome to The Strange and Unusual, where we discuss the strange and unusual. This is episode 144 of our series, seeking out the weird, the unexplained, and the devious from around the world. I'm Casey. And I'm Raya. 
So a couple of weeks ago, we asked our patrons, patreon.com slash strange unusual, uh, on our Discord, uh, to pick out a couple of numbers. They had no idea what they were picking, but they were unknowingly selecting a season and episode for these two episodes we will be doing, um, where we will be engaging in what we like to call the Forensic Files Reports. Um, forensic files touches primarily on forensic evidence and how it leads to solving a crime but that means there's often uh, finer details left out of the case that they um, go into and so that's what we're gonna do today on the forensic files reports so don't forget to check us out on social media we are on twitter facebook uh, instagram and of course patreon.com slash strange unusual and you can find all that information at the end of the episode or in our show notes uh and that's that's it baby <laughs> it's episode time <laughs> so wee woos murder and bikers that might be upsetting for some people not yeah. for me i mean that could be triggering for someone depending on what your life what your life has been i i was raised by bikers i know you were <laughs> it's, i am that kind of trailer trash so i i mentioned that forensic files covers a lot of the actual science this episode had not a lot going on outside of that and i ended up watching another show called the devils in the details which had some inconsistencies with forensic files which we will get into uh that and a couple other sources i found online there wasn't a whole lot on this case it's not a very big case uh so i'm doing my best okay we're gonna we're gonna get into it so it was november 9th 1995 in anchorage alaska Temps were below freezing, well below freezing, like zero Fahrenheit. Um, and it was around 8 a.m. when a pig was out on, on patrol uh, and found the body of a woman in a public park called Bicentennial Park. It's like a big old uh, national park situation with roads running through it and like lots of empty space because that's basically what Alaska is. Retired homicide investigator Greg Baker was interviewed in the Forensic Files episode and said when they first found the body... It was by a trash can. Uh, they had nothing to go on. There were no witnesses, no footprints, and no vehicle tracks. Though later in the Devils in the Details episode, they did say that there were tire tracks. But maybe they just weren't tire tracks that you could, you know, cast and use for forensic evidence. I don't know. But uh, the best that they had were drag marks where the body had been pulled and a like large oil stain on the ground from an engine so the woman had been badly beaten her throat was cut she had a large a large stab wound to the chest and no shoes on her feet um again in that other episode rigor mortis uh hadn't fully set in when they found her and it takes six to eight hours to completely set in as you probably know regular listeners it, definitely know it was rigor mortis <laughs> yeah <laughs> He's the he's the guy from uh, from Honey I Shrunk the Kids, right? <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. So she hadn't been dead long, and her estimated time of death was between five and eight a.m. on November 9th. The victim's prints, fingerprints, uh, were taken and scanned through the automated fingerprint identification system known as AFID, uh, which identified her as Catherine or Cat Harms, a 34 year old woman with the most badass name in existence. I wish my name was Cat Harms. I don't know, man. There's some really good, like, indigenous names. Th that is true. It's Wilma Mankiller. It's pretty good. But but for a white woman, yeah. Cat Harms, that's, fuck yeah. <laughs> 
So Catherine was a Virgo. She was born Catherine Shirley Henderson on September 16th, 1961 in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. But the family had moved to Alaska in 1966, which is quite the climate jump. Most of that time, she had lived in Anchorage, uh, but she did briefly move 500 some miles away to Juneau where she worked for the U.S. Forestry Service, which is how they had her fingerprints because she was in the system from working for the government. She worked at the Tongass National Park in Juneau, where according to the blurb about her on Find a Grave, she had received commendations for, quote, enthusiasm and positive service attitude and fun brought to the team in 1991. And she also had one for positive attitude, enthusiasm, and assistance during the 1993 fire season. But she decided to move back to Anchorage to be closer to her seven-year-old son, Eugene, who primarily lived with his father, Kat's ex-husband, Michael. It was suggested that she made that move to Juno initially after Mike won, had won full custody of Jean, their child. Um, like she needed to sort of figure her life out on her own and mm-hmm. get away for a while. But she moved back because she wanted to heal those relationships and, and, you know, have a relationship with her son. She liked fishing, skiing, bowling, horse riding, you know, all the Alaska activities. <laughs> uh, there was a quote from her family saying, quote, Kathy would be a friend to anyone. She never judged a book by its cover. It seems this quality may have been a downfall. Kathy was well liked by her friends and loved very much by all of her family. When Kathy was around, fun and laughter were sure to be had by all. Of all the things in her life, her son was the most important person to her. She loved him more than life itself. So prosecutor James, uh, sorry, prosecutor James Fayette says in the Forensic Files episode that Kat had been staying with friends, couch surfing here and there, no permanent address. She was struggling to find a job. She had no place to call her own. And look, as someone who has been homeless for a on an amount of time uh that is going to be super fucking stressful for anyone but imagining that this woman is trying to get to a point where she can have partial custody of her son again i cannot imagine Mm -hmm. what she must be going through so Catherine hadn't been reported missing or anything uh but her parents did tell police that they received a weird message on their answering machine just two days before the body had been discovered Again, here's an inconsistency. The the devil's in the details episode said it was the day before. I I don't know. It was one of the days. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so they they end up playing the recording in the Forensic Files episode. She says, Mom, are you there? Hello, Mom. I really, really need your help. But hopefully you'll be home soon. That's it. That's all she says. Her mom and stepdad weren't. <coughs> sorry. Buffering. Her mom and stepdad weren't sure who she was staying with during this time because she wasn't really telling anybody anything. Um, she was being really secretive and they rarely saw her or heard from her. So this this phone call was kind of out of the blue. Detective Baker noted that the the beating that had happened was indicative of overkill. It was an attack of anger, not just for killing's sake and the slash across the neck. So they, you know, they assume it's it's a motive with something personal behind it Mm -hmm. right the cause of death was actually determined to be the stab wound to the chest though um it was said it was four to five inches long through the heart and it was like what what's consistent with one of those folding knives or a buck knife also super fucking common in alaska yeah i mean super fucking common a lot of places any rural area yep um there was no blood around the wound uh the chest wound suggesting that she'd been laying on her back prone um, and there were no defensive wounds at all. Another sign that she knew her attacker. 
Uh, they also discussed in the details episode that her hair looked like it had been cut. They used the word mutilated, saying it had been shaved and like shorn in some spots and cut at odd angles. And James Fayette, the the assistant DA, suggested that this was in an attempt to humiliate her. I mentioned she hadn't been wearing shoes, but the bottoms of her feet were mostly clean. So it was pretty clear she hadn't walked out into the park herself and then found somebody who killed her. You know, this was somebody who brought her here angry with the with the intent to do so. So a surprising find was that there was actually, again, not a lot of blood at the scene at all. Not just coming out of her wound, but just not a lot of blood. She had her throat slit and she was stabbed in the chest. Um, And all they found really was some like a a small spurting pattern at the side of her neck from her throat being cut, but not the huge amounts you would expect. Toxicology had found no alcohol or, quote, street drugs in Kat's system. uh, But the medical examiner did find high amounts of a drug called Flexerol in her gastric contents. Uh, suggesting that she'd overdosed on the medication not long before her death. <clears throat> yeah, I was wondering if <clears throat> if drugs were going to be involved because of the yeah being secretive uh, and it's it's hard to say and we'll get there in a minute because everybody was like she was on drugs, but she was actually I I, I was telling Roya this privately like she's in aa it's in her fucking obituary. She was a part of Alcohols Anonymous. Like you don't it's called anonymous folks don't go out in this bitch but she was clearly trying to get her fucking shit together you know i know you know yeah addicts aren't perfect but well and trying to get your shit together doesn't mean that you stop being addicted yeah that's what i'm saying like like that's also part of alcoholics anonymous but just in general she could be going to the meetings and still be partaking in her addiction i've had it's been one day since i've had a drink yeah like um uh shit but yeah so they didn't find any drugs or alcohol in her system except for this flexoril and flexoril is a prescription muscle relaxer and pain reliever which when overdosed can cause severe drowsiness vomiting fast heartbeats tremors agitation or hallucinations Dr. Norman H. Thompson, the forensic pathologist interviewed on the Forensic Files episode, said that another unusual side effect is muscle rigidity, making the muscles tense, which will be important later. Okay. Uh, It also had likely lowered her blood pressure, thus a small amount of blood at the crime scene. Mm. Because if your blood pressure is low, you're not going to be putting out a lot of blood, obviously. Yeah. And of course, that was not a medication that had been prescribed to Catherine. So... Usually, this is the part of the episode where I start screaming that the husband did it, or in this case, the ex-husband. Catherine's sister, Linda, uh, even mentions that there was a lot of tension between them during visitations with their son, Eugene, and that piqued the curiosity of police, given that, you know, the sheer brutality of the murder made them go, we know who this is. Yeah. (laughs) They they go, they question uh, her ex, Mike, and he admitted things had been hostile and strange, uh, she had missed Eugene's birthday, which is very out of character for her because her son is so important to her. Uh, but he already had custody of their kid. So motive, eh, I don't know. And then uh, they find out that Mike had a decent alibi as he was out of state at the time. So he was just removed from the list of suspects. Hmm. Now on, again, inconsistency on Devils in the Details, they, oh, I just ran all of that together. I'm going to leave it. Devils in the Details. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, they said that he was home with his son at the time. So look, I don't fucking know. Okay, 
everybody else said he was out of state. Uh, I, I'm re- I really, I want to preface for the rest of this. I did not trust that show. <laughs> like they had, they had the, the investigators, they had the DA, but I was like, I don't trust this show. It feels less put together than forensic files, mm-hmm. but I'm here to give you what I found. So I'm telling you in advance. <laughs> anyway, another detail included, um, in that show was that Mike had received a call the day prior to Catherine's death, which was allegedly also Eugene's birthday, which she had missed. But a man's voice was on the phone and he wouldn't say who he was. He just said something like, please let Gene know that his mom says happy birthday. That seems weird. Just like, just like super ominous. And like, that's it. Bye. Click. You know, like, Especially um, for and- it being like, like, it's clear that she was trying to be involved in her son's life. Yes. Like, and that's, whether even, whether even she's the ex is like whether she's healthy or not or doing well or not that you know if you're trying to be involved in your child's life you don't miss their birthday especially yeah. a little kid and and like i said her ex was like that was out of character for her she would have been here like she and i might not get along we butt heads but she loved our kid like he's even saying she would have been here um and and nobody could identify the voice or he couldn't anyway, because I'm, I'm sure nobody else was listening. But, you know, he was like, I don't know who it was. So Anchorage Daily News printed the story and asked for anyone who might know something to come forward with that information. And several people did. Uh, one man named Jason, J- Jacob Pollock came forward saying that he didn't know where Kat lived, but at the, uh, she had been at his house a few nights before she'd been killed. She was on drugs, wobbling over like she was intoxicated that's what that's how he described her um and he said that was not normal for her that was not her normal behavior um she stayed the night him with him on the couch uh and then he had to leave for work but his roommate confirmed that she had left in the taxi the next morning and allegedly that's where that phone call to her mother on the voicemail came from like he heard her make that call Hmm. so police contacted the alaska cab company and they were able to track down who went to the house to pick up um, to Catherine and where where she went. And it turns out she went to a hotel called the Spenard Hotel. And a woman came out of room 31 and took her inside. Now, the occupant of room 31 was a woman named Maureen Alice Malloy and her two children. And for a time, a woman named Carrie Rundle. The Forensic Files episode doesn't even mention Carrie until later on in the episode. And they just call her a, quote, former roommate but the uh, devils in the details episode made it sound like they were actively living together but they were quote just roommates they always are so they're just roommates uh additional side note in that episode the assistant <laughs> da james fayette that i keep me- uh, mentioning he described maureen as five foot five and a striking woman <laughs> and i was like mr fayette i think you have the feelings <laughs> Maybe you should uh, not be attracted to the people you're trying to (laughs) put behind bars. (laughs) So they were living in this hotel at the time. Maureen told the police that Kat was a friend who had been staying with her until she found a place to live. But things had been troublesome. Uh, Kat started using drugs and she was she was, uh, you know, relying on prostitution as a way to make money. Um, Sex work is real work. But don't do it if there are children in a hotel room with you. That's all I'm saying. Yeah which is how Maureen made it sound. Uh, So she tells Kat, you need to go. I'm sorry you can't stay here with us anymore. Maureen 
claimed that Kat was so high at the time that she told her to leave that she needed an employee from the hotel to come and help her get Kat from her room to her car so that she could drop her off with some friends. She's not telling Kat to to go drive. She's going to take her to some other friends. Uh, Maureen tells police that she had introduced Catherine to some friends in a local biker gang. Now, Kat's sister, Linda, was basically like, yeah, she felt more accepted by people on the fringes, which, duh. Uh, But there were allegedly some beefs going on within the gang. And according to Maureen, there was a there was one biker who's just going to be referred to as a biker um recently who had punched cat in the face dang uh sh- she told them that it was because there was a rumor going around that cat's weird behavior um basically it made them suspect that she was a snitch that she was playing informant for law enforcement or for for like their drugs and firearms deals and this gentleman wasn't unknown to law enforcement so they were like yeah that checks out like he he probably did punch her in the face anyway the hotel employee confirmed maureen's story uh saying that he had helped maureen get cat to the car he said she was definitely on drugs her skin was clammy and cold she was stiff but she wasn't she wasn't likely to get up and walk away but she left the room alive basically is what he said she hadn't been stabbed she wasn't bleeding then maureen drops cat off with some people at a biker bar she hadn't seen her since like that was it Now, the police searched the home. They found no sign of a struggle, no bloody clothing or knives or towels or anything. But they did find two tiny specks of blood on the wall in the living room near a floorboard. They ran a DNA uh, test. It matched with cat harms, but it wasn't really helpful to the case since two tiny specks of blood does not a murder make. Yeah. I mean, that could be, whoops, I stubbed my toe or, you know. If you live somewhere, there's a lot of ways you can bleed that aren't murder. I'm bleeding right now and I'm not even injured and it's awful and I hate it and I want to die. Anyway, um, you're welcome, everybody. Now you know my cycle. (laughs) Uh, Maureen told the investigators that Kat was going to the bar to meet a guy, a a friend named Erwin, quote, Beaver Weaver. (laughs) Erwin Weaver, also known as Beaver. The Beaver Weaver. (laughs) That's right. Erwin Beaver Weaver. Uh, <laughs> I mean, if my so name Be- was Erwin, I'd probably go for a nickname, too. Yeah. Well, I mean, he's a biker. I think they all have nicknames. Yeah, I just mean in general. Oh, okay. Yeah. You don't like Erwin? Not a fan. I mean, I well, like Steve Erwin. Erwin and Eugene are just a couple of names in this story. Okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> Beaver was a mechanic. <laughs> and... I bet he was. Okay. I want to get together. All right. Beaver was a mechanic and he owned a motorcycle repair shop. Uh, and he wasn't super excited to be cooperative with the cops because he's a fucking biker. Um, but he did say he was familiar with Kat, but he denied seeing her the night of her murder. Police agreed this probably wasn't their guy because he's wearing this giant cast on his leg for a broken heel and he even uh like provided his medical records to prove he had been in this cast for six weeks uh six weeks yeah one of the investigators like sort of offhandedly mentions that beggar gangs tend to be more cooperative when they know that they can get the cops off their back yeah so like he was like here's my fucking medical records please fucking yeah leave. go away you're bad for business <laughs> yeah similarly they go to interview the biker who i had mentioned before 
who had allegedly punched Kat in the face, but he told them he hadn't actually hit her. Like, yeah, I didn't punch that lady in the face. Hmm. Uh, Sorry. (laughs) But he also admitted he didn't want her around because they knew that there were rumors of her being an informant. So the police had noticed one of the cars at this garage had an engine leak and come to find out it belonged to our friend Beaver. And Beaver's like, my dudes, I have a broken heel. You think I've been fucking driving? Beaver's leaking. Beaver, Beaver's car is leaking. It's not a beaver leak. I mean, it's a it's a leak related to Beaver. It is a Beaver's leak. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, he's like, I'm not out fucking driving. I got a broken heel, but I will let you know that I have lent this car out to many people, including Cat Harms. On the night of the murder, however, he had happened to have lended it out to Marine Malloy. Dun dun dun. Ka-chow. So without further information, uh, things. We're not looking great for this investigation. They didn't have a lot to go on until they got a tip from more than 2,000 miles away. A woman in Seattle, Washington. (laughs) She calls up. She's like, you pigs are not going to believe what I have for you. (laughs) She had received a package from a friend in the mail with several strange contents. Like, oh, I don't know. Cat Harm's driver's license. There was some jewelry. Would be strange, yes. That would be that would be strange. Uh, she had jewelry, a thick bladed folding knife, and all of these items, by the way, are conveniently wrapped in an Anchorage newspaper with the article on the front page of the murder. There was also a handwritten note requesting that she burn the contents of the box. Quote, hey, woman, if you and I have not spoken before you received this, please burn all of the contents of this box. This is very important and many lives are on the line. This would be a great favor, and in all the world, I trust only you. For this favor, I, parentheses, we, get a very valued favor from our local Hells Angels. Our fourth letter of the alphabet problem will be taken care of. Love you, M. P.S. Burn this too. (laughs) That's wild. Yeah. I want to know what the fourth letter of the alphabet problem is, because that's D. Like, you got a D problem? (laughs) I maybe you're a lesbian because you are living with a woman. Like maybe you do have a D problem. Maybe you thought there but, was another letter in the alphabet and meant you had a C problem. Oh, maybe. But cat was spelled with a K. Oh, sorry. Kind of, kind of let you know the deets. So the woman called in this tip because she didn't feel right about the box. She didn't want to get involved. She was just like, I don't want to be a part of this. Um. So investigators got the contents of the box. They sent it to the lab for testing. Firstly, it's confirmed that Maureen's fingies are all over that letter. Uh, Then the knife was sent to a forensic tool mark examiner, Robert J. Shem, which I didn't know. Like, I knew it was a thing, but I didn't realize that was just like a specific thing. I thought the tool mark examiner guy probably did other things, but no, he just does tool marks. So the prosecutor, James Fayette, um, who loves to say knife blade, by the way, (laughs) The quote's like, the microscopic fine marks on each knife blade are random in nature. They are a function of when the last time the knife blade was sharpened. The irregularities of the knife blade are going to be different in this knife, even compared to the next knife blade that was the- made in the same factory. Like, <laughs> like, um, yeah, I-, I had to laugh. I was listening to him say knife blade 800 times. So now Dr. Thompson, the medical examiner, um, or forensic pathologist, he had done things a little differently. And instead of just taking a photo of the stab wound, he actually had removed a portion of the ribs that had been damaged during the stabbing. 
The first seven ribs in the rib cage are called your true ribs. They are attached to the sternum by pliable cartilages called the costal cartilages. And the remaining five false ribs, uh, three have uh, costal cartilages connected to the cartilage above them. And then two in the, uh, the two last ones end in the muscles of your abdomen. So that costal cartilage of cat's rib, which is a lot of alliteration for me, um, had been damaged. And according to Shem, it acts like a sort of low density plastic, which can readily pick up tool markings. So Shem used a substance called microsil, which is a silicone solution, obviously microsil. Um, sorry, I don't mean to patronize you people like, you know, you know, what? you're smart. <laughs> so it's used uh, by tool mark examiners to uh, basically cast the super fine details of an injury, for example, for comparison to that of the tool. Shem used the knife on uh, the package. Oh, sorry. Sorry. Shem used the knife from the package to stab a piece of plastic and then used the microsil on that to compare the striations, similar to how ballistics, ballistics examinations would work. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Yes. And it's re- it was really cool to see the process in the episode. Uh, then put side by side, the striations on the two microsil casts uh, were found to be identical. And as the narrator of our beloved show, Peter Thomas, would tell it, this was, quote, a unique situation, <laughs> as making a match like this had only happened once or twice before. Now, with the investigation on Malloy in full swing, a smear of blood was found uh, near the ignition of the car, and it was a DNA match for cat harms. There were blood stains in the pockets of Marine's leather jacket that they found, which was also a DNA match for Cat Harms. And the stains were actually consistent with the size of the knife that had been found and tested as well. So Marine Malloy was arrested and she was charged with first degree murder. She denied that she was involved and even said or, or even denied that she was responsible for sending the knife or like the interrogation. Or, oh my fucking God. The whole package in the interrogation. Uh, she's like, I didn't know about any knife. What knife? I don't know about any knife. Mm-hmm. It's not a fun watch watching her like get interrogated because they're, you know, they're cops. They're awful. But um, now, according to Forensic Files, she never changes her stories in the interview. Uh, but in Devils in the Details, they like you know, she was changing her story all over the place. So I couldn't find her actual interview. Who knows? Um, they they claim that she uh, changes the details and how she left Cat. So she says that she dropped Cat off. And then she says that she actually, they were at a busy intersection and she stopped for a light or something. And then Kat just came to and jumped out of the car and ran away. Uh, and that's actually the the only version of events that they give in Forensic Files. They, they only say that she ran away at an intersection. I'm not sure why. That was apparently the second version of events. And then the third version, she's, uh, she's driving and she shoves Kat out onto the street in front of a biker garage, honks the horn and takes off basically leaving her there for them to quote deal with like godfather style eventually she says you know we're done here i want a lawyer which she should have said when she sat her ass down look folks step one shut the fuck up step two get a lawyer step three fuck the police (laughs) don't don't fuck them you know what i mean so prosecutors are trying to figure out a motive what reason does maureen have really for killing Catherine? now they said that maureen eventually points her finger at Carrie Rundle, the roommate, not lover, just a roommate. And Carrie Rundle, who had been pretty quiet up to this point, like she didn't, she wasn't really cooperating. She wasn't really wanting to talk. She's, she finds out that Maureen is trying to sell her out and she's like, fuck that. She starts talking. (laughs) 
Maureen allegedly had stolen some guns, which she planned to sell. And she thought that Kat was going to expose her for it because she believed Kat to be an informant. Carrie claimed that she watched Maureen give Kat the Flexoril with the intention of getting her to relax, hoping that she would get her to talk and admit herself as a snitch, like out herself. And what do we know about snitches? They get stitches. They get fucking killed. <laughs> allegedly. So Maureen allegedly beat and drugged Kat, cutting her hair, humiliating her, and then getting rid of her. The investigators pitched the theory that Maureen turned violent, so violent, that she realized she couldn't let Catherine go. They alleged that she got the hotel clerk to help her get Kat to the car, which, by the way, the hotel clerk never mentioned that Kat looked like she had been beaten. So I don't know if that just happened later. Um, but they they get her to the car and then Kat dumps the unconscious body in the park where she cut her throat, stabbed her chest and pieced out with a bloody knife in her pocket. Then she packed up the evidence, shipped it out to Seattle. Dude, I, I just want to tell you, you live in the biggest fucking state, like literally the biggest state with the most empty space and you gonna mail the evidence when you could have just gone to some remote fucking place and burned that shit yourself and buried it <laughs> yeah. and been done with it that was maureen you're not very smart <laughs> also um roya if you ever sent me evidence of a murder i got you i'm not gonna turn you in i love you okay thank you good to know, good I, to know. I'm, if if you send me something I'm, and you tell me that you killed someone i'm assume they deserved it yeah they probably did yeah so just uh, just fyi um so Maureen, for her part, continued to deny these allegations, even taking the stand in her own defense at the trial. They, the prosecutor's asking, who killed Catherine Harms? And she keeps going, I was not there. <laughs> who killed Catherine Harms? I was not there. Her story was that she was framed. Her story was that she was framed by the local motorcycle gang. So she was like, I didn't do it. They didn't want her around. They killed her and they're pinning it on me because they don't like me. That's her story. She's sticking to it. But the forensic files... No, the forensic evidence <laughs> was stacked against her. Uh, jurors later saying that it was really that tool mark analysis that cinched it. And uh, Maureen was found guilty of the murder. She was sentenced to 159 years in prison. Carrie Rundle, in exchange for taking the stand against Maureen, was charged with just kidnapping and concealing evidence and was only sentenced to five years. And the male voice from that ominous phone call was never identified. They showed a portion of the victim impact statements and Kat's sister calls Malloy a, quote, worthless piece of flesh, claiming that if she ever tries to get out of prison, that she, the sister, would be there to make sure that it didn't happen. A reporter at the end of the episode, Liz Ruskin, basically says, like, this case didn't make any sense and I don't get it. What's the story? <laughs> <laughs> and even the judge was like, that that was the motive? I don't get it. And she's not the only one. So while I was researching this case, I couldn't find a lot of information, but I did find a few different places where they're like, this doesn't make any sense that like that doesn't seem like good enough motive to kill a person. Right. And I found a forensic file subreddit questioning the details of the case, the motive, asking if anybody knows anything more. And like I said, it's not popular. It wasn't easy to find. But one user, TKSR22, said uh, said this. I know Maureen personally. I don't believe she did it. She had no motivation at all. The biker gang she was involved with believed women were expendable and replaceable. Miss Harms was was causing a lot of shit from my understanding, and Mo was trying to get her to calm down. Mo was trying to warn her something bad was going to happen to her if she didn't stop whatever she was doing. The biker gang told Mo she had to take care of Miss Harms, and Mo said no. So they did it, and they framed her. 
They threatened her with her daughter's safety if she ever told. Now, this is all after the fact and all, but that's the story I was given. She's adamant about her innocence. I knew her for 14 years and I didn't know to, didn't know her to be a liar about anything. Wow. So, I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Maybe. Maybe she's innocent. It's so hard to know when you only have two TV shows and one of them, I don't fucking trust them. <laughs> I don't fucking trust them. Sorry, Discovery. I don't believe you. <laughs> you also have a ghost hunter show. Like, I don't believe you. <laughs> <laughs> There's several ghost hunters. But that's... <laughs> uh, that is the story of Catherine Harms. She is currently... Well, I mean, she's she's going to remain buried at Angeles Memorial Park in Anchorage. And what was really nice, I saw her obituary. Uh, she actually asked... Well, she didn't. You know, her family asked that in lieu of flowers. Uh, people make donations to Eugene's scholarship fund. Aww. And so, yeah, he's, he's a, an adult now. And in the episode, uh, the Devils in the Details episode, he was interviewed. And at the end, you know, he's just saying how his his relationship with his mother was stolen from him. And I'm like, that poor guy. Yeah. Rough. Yeah. Regardless of who who committed the crime, that's definitely true. Yep. Man, that's crazy to think about. Like, I mean, I know that there are probably thousands of super innocent people oh, in yeah. jail and prison and things like that. Or in there with... Uh, with um sentences that are way too hard for what actually oh, yeah. happened but yeah the guy who the, the black guy who has weed is gonna get more time than the white guy who, who rapes somebody like, yeah that's just how it is well the white guy has his whole life in front of him yep um but yeah it's that's that's really a lot to take into consideration and stuff for that reddit user you know if that's true and accurate and whatever yeah but um because it does, you know, like, people have killed for nothing. Like... True. And... and I want to kill. I will kill. Yeah. Like, that's, that's enough for some people. Yeah. And so the the motive doesn't always super matter, but it doesn't seem like this uh, mode that she was a necessarily violent person right. outside of maybe the, the group she ran around with. And... Yeah. Normally, nonviolent people don't murder generally yeah but now, if you factor in it, her kid being at risk yeah, and things like that yeah. then she might have she might have been like oh shit they're gonna hurt my kid i better fuck this lady up who knows yeah P parents are fucking weird man they get mad at you for going to disney and eating your fucking mickey mouse pretzel because that should have been for their kid yeah so that that person might have died you ate that last fucking pretzel i'm gonna fucking murder you i wouldn't be surprised oh pretzels I want a soft pretzel. I know, me too. I'm like, Sonic, I want to make Elise go. <laughs> it's the only place you can get soft pretzels in town anymore. Can Sonic. Yeah. Like, I think you can get one at Costco, but you don't have a Costco. No, we have nothing. <laughs> you lose. Good day, <laughs> sir. Um, but yeah, I mean, I hope that if she is innocent, I hope that maybe there is a future where that could be proven or an alternative right and it's like the worst part is especially if she was framed like she's probably fucked yeah i mean realistically I can't say that she was with any certainty but realistically if as long as they were good enough at framing her which they were so mm -hmm. let me get that outro up <laughs> thanks for joining us today for the first installment of forensic files reports we hope you'll reach out to us with your own experiences we want your stories your questions and your feedback Send us an email at strangeunusualpodcast at gmail.com. 
If you're sending a listener story, we just ask that you put listener story in the subject line so you can find those a little more easily. Uh, do, do you have any information or knowledge of anybody involved in this case? Yeah, don't get us in trouble with the bikers, though. No, well, we can be anonymous. Also, they're in Alaska. Yeah. I mean, it's not to say First they all, can't make it down here, but like... You know, do they put do they put snow, like like chains on their on their motorcycle tile, tires? They probably that's just switched to like snowmobiles. That's what I see. That's what I'm wondering. I want to know if you know if you know how bikers work in Alaska. <laughs> send me that information. It's very I would seasonal. Like to know how they get around? There's just yeah. Eight, is it a seasonal biker game? Eight months out of the year, they can't do it. That's what I want to know. <laughs> probably longer than eight months. So that's the information I would like. You could pass that on to me. <laughs> you can also find us on Instagram at strange underscore unusual underscore podcast or on our personal accounts, Royal Rampage and Calamity Casey. You can find us on Twitter at underscore strange unusual at Calamity Casey and at Royal Rampage. We are on Facebook. Search for the Strange Unusual Podcast. Look for our cute little logo. And also, Roya is streaming on Twitch right now. Not right, not right now, <laughs> but she's streaming on Twitch presently. <laughs> Um, you can find her at twitch.tv slash Royal Rampage. Uh, if you'd like, you can join us over on patreon.com slash change unusual where you can join our discords and get involved in fun events like this. Uh, again, patreon.com slash change unusual, just $2 a month. Uh, we do some fun things there. We've been doing weird watch parties um, where we talk about what books we're reading. We share dank memes. I keep everybody posted on what's going on with the Lori Vallow case. Uh, we're having a good time. And you could be a part of that. But if you can't support us financially right now, we do understand. And if you would like to help us out uh, in another way, you can always rate, review, share, subscribe, send us, uh, you know, money in other ways. <laughs> Let me see if we've got anything I didn't yeah. check. Look, my brain just stopped. <laughs> but yeah, uh, any, any, you know, pass it along to your friends, your enemies, your local biker gang. And um, just you know, help us get out there and make those numbers and stuff algorithms no new reviews yeah yeah they hate us it's yeah that's i hate us too i hate me especially i hate me double i thought you were i thought you were telling me earlier that we should be more, more positive when talking about ourselves yeah shut up <laughs> okay bye <laughs> <laughs> Do 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 do